0: And welcome to Positively Pro-Life Podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramu Tenney, the Education Director, and I'm so happy that Maria Gallagher, our Legislative Director, is back to co-host with me again this week. So, Welcome, Maria, to the show. Hello, Rimmel. It's great to be with you today. Yes, and good to have you back, uh, like I always say. So uh, we have a very special guest today. But before I go into that, I just want to give we have missed our legislative update uh, for the past couple of weeks. And Maria is going to give us a quick update and then I will introduce you to our very, very special guest.
1: Remmel, the following is a statement from Carol Tobias, president of National Right to Life, on the appointment of LaFonza Butler, president of the pro-abortion political action committee EMILY's List, to the Senate seat left vacant by the death of Senator Dianne Feinstein. Gavin Newsom has shown how wholly connected Democrats are to abortion activists and how united they are on the abortion issue. His appointment of LaFonza Butler, president of the pro-abortion Emily's List, is just another example in a long line of actions that Newsom has taken to push unlimited abortions. Emily's List is a political action committee that spends millions of dollars every election cycle to elect pro-abortion Democrat women. To be endorsed by Emily's List, candidates must take a hardline stand opposing any and all protections for unborn children. In previous election cycles, the group has pulled endorsements from pro-abortion candidates because the candidates opposed partial birth abortions or taxpayer funding of abortion. Gavin Newsom and the Democratic Party have an extreme pro-abortion agenda that is out of step with the majority of Americans. Remel. All I
0: have to say we have missed you, Maria. Thank you for that update and keeping us in uh, in the in, uh, updated on what's happening right now in the world today when it comes to pro-life. So um, thanks for that. Uh, you and I are very excited for uh, an event that is happening at the end of the month. Uh, the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is holding its annual Celebrate Life Banquet in a few weeks on Saturday, October 28th at the Hershey Lodge. Uh, we couldn't be happier to have Raymond Arroyo as our guest for the day. Now He is a familiar name and a face to many of our listeners, but let me just introduce him to you uh, right now. Raymond Arroyo is an internationally known award-winning journalist, producer, and New York Times bestselling author. As founding news director and lead anchor for EWTN News, Raymond is seen in in more than 350 million homes on six continents each week. He's also seen on Fox News and Fox Nation's Laura and Raymond Show and the Ingraham Angle. He has used his influence to promote the cause of life by frequently featuring pro-life guests and pregnancy resource centers on his shows and covering pro-life news from across the world. He's here with us today to have a little chat about life and all things pro-life. So, Raymond, delighted to have you on our podcast.
2: Oh, thank you for both, both of you for having me.
0: Yeah, and uh, we are very excited uh, to hear hear you speak at the banquet. So, um, this is a great opportunity for our listeners to get to know you a little bit more. So we're gonna we're gonna keep it light. We're gonna talk about um, okay. you, your pro life beliefs, and a few things that you've covered. So, just to start off, where did your where do you get your pro life convictions from? Where did that begin? Well,
2: look, I, I think on a very elementary level, I think everything, it, life is everything, isn't it? I mean, l- life is really what it, it's all about. Uh, the continuation of life, our own lives, wanting to protect and extend uh, young lives, innocent lives, and the, and the frail elderly. I mean, uh, so I think w- whether people admit to it or not, we're all pro-life by the nature of who we are, by being human beings. Um, and look, I grew up in New Orleans where community and and um, being together and celebrating life is so important so it, it's it's natural i mean in one respect it's natural to me obviously i it, it, you know there are religious convictions beneath it but on a on a on a purely uh human level on a natural level um one one you know struggles to come up with a scenario where you wouldn't be pro-life i mean so to me it's it's sort of just reasonable rather than, um, you know, and obviously they're deep religious convictions as well. But I don't need to go there. I mean, I don't even think you need to go there. On an elementary level, life is given to us for a period of time. It's a precious, fragile thing. Obviously, we should all do everything we can to protect and defend those who can't defend themselves and ultimately protect our own lives and those of our families.
1: Have you covered the March for Life in Washington, D.C.? And if so, what has that experience been like for
2: you? I Believe it or not, I was the first uh, person on EWTN to cover the March for Life live um, many, many years ago. Um, so, yeah, I've covered it over the years. I've not been involved in recent years because others have sort of taken over and, you know, they do their own thing. Uh, and um, but, I, yeah, I, I've always seen it. I was sort of surprised when I first covered it um, at what a youthful uh, march it was, you know, how, how young the, the people marching were. This, this was not, um, you know, 80 year olds. It was, it was, it was kids. It was young high school kids and, um, and college kids. It was a, you know, a sort of vibrant turnout. So that was surprising to me uh, the first time I covered it, but yeah, I've covered it many times. I, I interviewed uh Trump when he was uh, President Trump when he was there uh, the only president to actually appear at the march uh, I interviewed him right before he spoke at that march so um, so yeah I I've seen it up close um, it's always sort of uh, I, I remember asking Nellie Gray whom I knew the founder of the March for Life why she had to have it then you know it's in the dead of winter it's so cold and miserable every year um, not always that, that last you know, the last couple of years, it's been actually sunny and nice. But uh, but by and large, it's a grim affair, particularly when the snow is falling. I said, why not have it in the summer? You'd get triple the people. And she said, well, no, this commemorates the time. This is when Roe v. Wade happened. So, you know, we, we leave it there. But now that Roe v. Wade is gone, maybe that could be open to, you know, move shifting the date a bit. And I'm sure that would make a lot of those marchers happy.
0: I have to say, I attended my first march for life this year. I've always uh-huh. seen it in the news. I've seen it. Uh, I've seen pictures, but mm-hmm. it really blew me away at the massive crowd that turns out. Like you said, on a on a grim day, the yeah. the, the number of people, like the line, just the march just keeps going and going for a couple of hours, oh. and 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 there are people joining um, throughout the throughout that time. So mm. I, I don't think uh, the media has done a good job. Uh, Mm -hmm. of showing what really happens at the march so it's it's great to know that uh you covered the march and and Mm -hmm. uh that that is still happening at least in conservative media uh, on Uh, ewtn so ewtn devotes the day to it yeah um now i you have also covered a lot of pregnancy resource centers uh on Mm -hmm. your shows uh talking Mm -hmm. about uh what they do uh pennsylvania right now i don't i'm I'm sure you must have heard um, how our governor has decided to retire uh, a very important pregnancy and parenting services program uh, from the state budget. So um, from the interviews, um, what have you learned about pregnancy resource centers just from interviewing the directors?
2: Well, I mean, the the principal thing that I've learned over many, many years, and it would seem to me with Roe v. Wade um, being tossed out, the need the the urgency the importance of those pregnancy centers only rises now because you're going to have more women in need of those services and my look no matter where people stand on this issue i think everybody should be on the side of a mother and her child and if a woman is pregnant and wants to bring that that ch- obviously she wants to bring that child to term that that that's you know that's her calling that's that's her gift and uh, and a gift to her it is in the interest of society it is in the interest of society and the government to give tax write offs to support to give aid to that mother in crisis because she is about to give you more citizens meaning in a very on a very craven level for these governments so they can understand that's more taxpayers for you you should want that You should want your city to grow and your citizens to grow. And you want them, that child to be in a loving, supportive environment. We have to help women get there. And I don't understand where um, one can say, you know, I mean, there are constitutional privileges here that we're all afforded. Life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I don't understand how that first one and the last one are not recognized. The pursuit of happiness and life. It, it, if you have the means, and all of these states have the means, helping a, a, a mother uh, in a moment of crisis to bring new life into the world and into your city or state, which seemed to me to be an important thing and something we should want to do and more and have more of, rather than using, um, you know, lessening the population of your city. I don't understand how that furthers the needs, the growth or the income for that city it limits it it crushes it it diminishes it um so on a very on a very practical level that th- that that's what i see but the work of these crisis pregnancy centers is just unbelievable i mean you have uh, largely women all over the country who built these homes um they bring in women who are facing crisis they feed them they clothe them they give them job training they give them child care they give them all the things they need to help once that child is born, so the canard that you know pro-life people only care about you know the the the, the child while it's in the womb—that's nonsense. I've seen these women in action. I've seen their great labors, and not only not for a month or two months, for decades they've done this work. Um, they should be supported by local government. They should be supported by the federal government because it's in the interest of all all of us as citizens to have more citizens.
1: Definitely. I'm wondering Raymond if you recall where you were when you heard the news that Roe versus Wade was overturned and, and what thoughts came to you at that time.
2: Yeah, I um I, I I remember I was at a um I think I was in the bureau in the news bureau when it hit. Um it didn't surprise me. I mean, look, it was no matter where anybody stood. I mean, you could talk to to you know clerks of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and and the most you know progressive Uh, legal scholars and the most conservative legal scholars, everybody agreed Roe v. Wade was bad law. It was poorly reasoned. The facts of the case were slippery. We find out a lot of it was just made up. Um, So there was a lot of bad reasoning that was in the law itself. Um, And so, yeah, by force, by its own weight, it crumbled. Um, But it's a call to the whole country now to give Life a second look realize these women in many times are faces facing crisis and crisis pregnancies and they need help but now it really is a nationwide it it awakened the whole country by removing um, legalized abortion from one end of the country to the other. It really allows it's an opportunity for people to re-examine what they can do in their own community and re-examine what life means in your community. So um, yeah, that was the thought that went through my head. The 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 how long this had stood. Um and and really a lousy constitutional law at play. Um, it's amazing it stood as long as it did. Um, and I think divorced from partisanship. It was just bad law.
0: Yes, yeah, so I, I heard a lot of women um, at the National Right to Life, I mean, a lot of other leaders who, who shared the same thought that they're surprised by how long Rose stayed uh, mm-hmm. because they thought mm-hmm. with within a couple of years, that's going to go, but wow. I, that's, that's a mystery. Uh, but I want to switch gears a, a little bit here and ask you about what is your favorite thing about your job?
2: About my job? Well, look, I I, I get to talk to fascinating people. Um, I've met all my heroes through my job, by and large, uh, writers and amazing directors and actors and um, uh, le- world leaders, um, to have that opportunity to sit opposite somebody and Uh, have a a real human conversation to get things from them they've not said before or felt comfortable enough saying before and then to bring that to a wide audience that's a gift I mean it it is a gift and hopefully you know as I look at uh, you know I have a children's book out the magnificent mischief of Tad Lincoln which is about a a little child I mean it's Abraham Lincoln's youngest son and um, he was a touchstone of normalcy and joy in the midst of Lincoln's hellscape, the the world he was living in, losing the war, the country divided and collapsing. So to be able to, and, and it's also that their relationship is the backstory of a great national holiday tradition and really the backstory of Thanksgiving as a national holiday. So to tell that story, to bring that, which is really a family story with wonderful lessons packed in, but it also, I think, excites people it gives them joy and I hope all of my work does that that's what I try to do so whether it's the the a book for families I call them family reads or the Christmas album which is meant to be an antidote to the depression and the despair you see all around us even at Christmas time we have to remember the excitement and the joy of the season and uh and the light That is always there, no matter how dark it might seem at the moment. And that's why we wanted to, you know, do that particular album. And it's why we titled it Merry and Bright, Christmas Merry and Bright, because it's important to remind ourselves and to bask in the joy of the season and the light of the season
1: and if we could talk a little bit more about your music because i yeah. i know uh i'm certainly a fan of the uh, christmas specials that you did on EWTN and those wonderful moments when you sang along with your spectacular musical guests
2: yeah.
1: um so how did this christmas cd the christmas album come about and and how did you decide the spectacular arrangements for that CD, because they are really impressive.
2: Thank you. No, they're beautiful arrangements. And well, well, here, it's it's a twofold thing. One, um, because of people like you watching those Christmas specials over many years, people have asked me for a long time, will you do a Christmas CD? And I always said, no, I, I just didn't feel, you know, I had the time or the energy or was called to do that. Well, a record producer approached me, who also watched those specials, and said, I hear from people all the time. Why doesn't he record a Christmas CD? So she came to me and said, why don't you do this? And I said, well, uh, I'm not sure what I could originally offer, okay? Because, you know, you've got you've got Andy Williams and Johnny Mathis in your head. You, you don't need me. So uh, I went and I started going through the lyrics of these songs, my favorite Christmas carols and traditional songs. And I realized... The way that they've been brought to us, the way they've been performed were actually not in keeping with the context of the song or the intention of the song. So it gave us an opportunity to recast them, reset them. So I went to Kevin Costa, who arranged The Greatest Showman uh, uh, and The the World's Greatest Showman, um, the, The Lion King, Jungle Book. He's an incredible arranger. And Kevin set each of these in their historic context in a big band setting. I wanted a classic big band sound. I didn't want it to be contemporary. I didn't want it to be folk and kind of just guitars. I wanted it to really be a big band treatment and to have some substance and that classic American sound. So we did that, and we got 20 pieces together in New Orleans. Uh, I, I recorded live with the band. I had not sung in probably 30 years professionally. I mean, Christmas specials, it's not, you know, I don't consider that professional singing. So uh, I went back to vocal training again, uh, which is good. you got to get the, you know, it is a a muscle. I mean, it's a little bit like riding a bike or I call it riding a surfboard. You know, you never forget how to surf, but you can get out of practice. So learning to sing again, getting in touch with, you know, the proper breathing and placement and, you know, preparing for those notes. Uh, And then. Working with an orchestra live is a very different experience from singing with a piano. And that was amazing to me. I mean, 20 guys who, these guys have been playing together for like 30 years. You can hear it. They move as a unit when they, when they go. So I'm really just trying to, you know, you, you, you get on your surfboard and you ride their musical wave and you try to keep up and move with it. So it bent and changed and altered the performance I had planned and there's something spontaneous and wonderful and exciting that happened and tender and sweet. There are some beautiful ballads here. Um, the, I heard the bells and silent night and Christmas memories. Christmas time is here. The great peanut song, uh, for, by Vince Corraldi. Um, and it gave me an opportunity to kind of explore all that emotional, um, material in a new way. And I think from the reaction we've been getting, it's, and it's been so incredible. Um, It has really, it's touched people as I hoped it would. It's been at the top of Billboard's jazz charts for the last few weeks, at the top of the holiday charts. So go out and get your copies. (laughs) It's a lot of fun.
1: Definitely, definitely. Um, If you are a fan of Christmas music, if you are a fan of Raymond Arroyo, if you are a fan of Feliz Navidad.
2: Oh, yeah, forgot about that. The
1: the CD. Tell tell me about that experience recording that.
2: Yeah, well, Jose Feliciano, who's, you know, an old pal, um, I went to Jose and said, would you consider, I had interviewed him in the past and found out about the origins of Feliz Navidad. This is a good example of the whole album, how we envisioned it and how it rolled out. Um, Everybody knows Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. And everybody goes and you move. Okay. As I explored the backstory. Jose was forced to write that song during a recording session in 1970. He was recording his Christmas album. And his producer said, we need an original song. He said, I don't want to do an original song. You got Brenda Lee, you got Irving Berlin. What do you need me for? Kind of like I was about my Christmas album. And uh, but the producer said, no, no, go write about your childhood and Christmas, something personal. So he went off and literally in 10 minutes, he wrote Feliz Navidad. And it was an homage to celebrating on the shores of Puerto Rico, beating on instruments, tin drums and little things they could, noisemakers, and singing old Spanish carols with his brothers in Puerto Rico. Now, when I give you that scene, that's a very different setting from what you imagine when you hear Feliz Navidad. So I went to Jose and I said, Jose, can we do a kind of sultry Bossa Nova gentle intro into Feliz Navidad and then allow it to build slowly, take a different approach. So it has that sentimental feel, that warm family spirit, if you will. And he originally, um, there's a great story about it, I won't tell you, but his flight was delayed many times. And he finally, all of his instruments were lost, all of his baggage, except for his personal guitar, which made it in. That is the guitar he played in the same clothes he was in for two days on the album. And uh, it's beautiful. He accompanies me on Feliz Navidad. He joins me as a guest singing it. Uh, And it's a very warm, fun uh, take on on the song. So if you go to RaymondArroyoChristmas.com RaymondRoyalChristmas.com. There's a preview there, a trailer where you can buy. And if you're if you're in town, I'm doing a five city tour in Phoenix, and uh, we're going to Texas and Tampa, Florida, Cleveland, and we're ending in Nashville at the Ryman Auditorium with Jose. He's traveling with me on some of the dates, so really cool.
0: Well, that's great because uh, I mean we. I've heard the trailer and I'm like, this is really, really good. I want to get a CD and I have to say Maria already has one.
2: <laughs> ah, thank you. See, Maria's is ahead of the game. I love it. I
0: pre-ordered. It.
2: There you go. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's fun.
0: So, Raymond, did you always aspire to have influence in this world, like by being a journalist or author or even a music artist?
2: Well, you know, I, I remember I was trained as an actor in my early life and um I always thought, and when I look back, I realize everything I've done, whether it's theater, singing, writing stories, books, children's books, uh, or reporting the news. All of it is really storytelling. I always wanted to tell stories, hopefully stories that uplift and challenge, uh, frighten and excite. I mean, that's what you want to do. You want to engage people and hopefully lead them to something that's good. And 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 that builds up their joy, their hope, and the possibilities around them. So, it to me, it's all united. It's just one thing, whether I'm singing or I'm talking. Um, you you, you want to convey that sense, that spirit, and uh, and truth. You know, to share truth with people. So, you know, it to me, all of these are vehicles for that same instinct: to want to tell stories and reach people.
1: And certainly you are engaging the culture. We we so often hear the criticisms of the culture, but your work engages the culture, I think in that spirit of Pope John Paul II.
2: Yeah, I knew John Paul II well. He was a friend. Um, And mother, of course, Mother Angelica had the same kind of uh, spirit. And you know, she was, a mother was always a great example for me of somebody who had a natural gift you know, not a trained gift. She was a natural storyteller. She was she had a natural timing and wit that she employed. And that drew so many people to her to listen to the larger message, which was a message of, you know, truth and 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 hope and repentance uh, and, and joy. She em- exemplified that sense of joy. So I've always kind of tried to employ that in my own life. Um, And uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a necessary ingredient. Nobody wants to hear a downer. And I also think you can only complain so much. Look, I, I, I do have to point out at times failings in the culture and people who make mistakes. And but you can't kind of scold and harp all the time. You have to uplift. You have to contribute something positively. So I hope that through my work um, you're rebuilding in some ways what is being lost or 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 damaged in other areas of the culture yeah oh
0: well, we will be having Raymond Arroyo at our celebrate life banquet at the Hershey Lodge on Saturday October 28th registrations are still open so for um for all of our listeners if you haven't registered yet you can go on our website www.paprolife.org banquet and go on there and register. You may even get an opportunity to meet and greet Raymond uh, if you take a sponsorship. So, please go on our website and uh, come for come in come out and see Raymond. So, Raymond, before we close, any last thoughts? What is your message to the pro life community in Pennsylvania? Only that
2: I'm excited to see everybody. Um, I I think you know the the best the best way to um, represent life to. Um, Advance life is to live a good life and to to make sure your family is strong and intact. Um, so that's a piece of what I would advise. But um, we'll have a lot of fun. It's a and the speech I'm planning is a fun talk. It's not uh, you know I, so many times that I know people you know they they blanch away because they don't want a grim talk during a pro life event. And I get that. And I have heard your cries. Uh, so we'll have a good time. It will not be a grim, boring you know, solemn talk, I promise. And I don't know, I may even sign some CDs and books while I'm there. Who knows?
1: Oh, that would be so exciting. Raymond Arroyo, a star of many different media and uh, a, an ambassador for truth. We want to thank you so much for being on Positively Pro-Life.
2: Oh, Maria, my pleasure. Thank you both. Thank you and Lemo.
1: Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. Thank you for joining us on the program today and remember there is always a reason to choose life.